Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. So the words Lord. Praise be to God. Our second reading is going to be to continue from verses 17 to verse 32. Then I want you to make sure we look at verse 43. Fools, because of their rebellious way, because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness, and for His wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. And tell of his works with joyful singing. Those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and they were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be stilled, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. Verse 43, who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. What is the loving kindness of God all about? We have many things stated right here in front of us. It's an everlasting love, verse 1. It's unfailing. It's great. And verse 43 tells us that if we're wise, we would consider it. We would consider. There's four scenarios here that we would be wise to consider, the psalmist tells us. And as we read those first few verses, we see that the Lord, He gathers us together through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord exposes us to see our sin. He does that by giving us the law, and the law of God shows us our sin, and God uses the law to beat us to Christ. 
beat us? Has, have you not been beaten to Christ? <laughs> have you not been, I'm going to say this in a minute, but have you not been taken like Bam Bam by God's law and slammed back and forth to see you need a Savior? And so the law op- exposes us to see our sins, and then he shows us Jesus is the only refuge. And so we take refuge in Jesus Christ, and we're hidden in Jesus Christ, and we have the forgiveness of our sins. And we have this adoption. We're in the family. We talked about it a few minutes ago in the prayer. I was praying this. I'm, I'm, are, you, are you not enjoying the fact that you're adopted into the family of God and you're part of this family of God? And so we hide in Jesus Christ. And we have this relationship with God the Father through Him. And this relationship with God, it just gets better and better. But then in order for God to accomplish His purposes in us, which is to make us more like Jesus... This God who has taken us out of sin and placed us into light, He exposes us to dark things. He exposes us to trouble. He doesn't shield us or exempt us from trouble, but He exposes us to trouble. Why does He do this? Well, we just said it. The Lord, He will allow us. He will expose us to show us how weak we are to see how much we need Him. He will so overwhelm us with the troubles in this world so that we would say, Psalm 143, verse 9, I hide myself in Thee. So that we would say with the psalmist in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And besides Thee I desire nothing. In verses 1 through 3, we have an invitation to give thanks to the Lord. And then in verses 4 through 32, we have four scenarios of people being exposed to trouble. And verse 43 says, think about it. <laughs> but you'll be wise. You'll be wise if you think about these four scenarios. So let's be wise this morning. I'm going to give you two points. The Lord exposes you to trouble. And number two, the Lord calls you on Thanksgiving as we think about it. As at Thanksgiving, the Lord calls you to Did you see how many times he said, let us give thanks to the Lord? (laughs) Four times, and then we were invited to do it in verse 1. Verse 4, we're going to be exposed to aimlessness. Verse 4, they wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. In this life, every one of us, we long for purpose and we long for direction. We want to go to a place where there's a city. We want to have a home where there's walls. We want to feel secure. And in, in fact, as you and I are in Jesus Christ, we know where we're going. We know the celestial city's out there. We know the builder and maker of that city is God, and we're on our way there. It's a great thing. We know our purpose is to enjoy God. First, first question in the Shorter Catechism. To enjoy God and, and to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But as we walk there... Have you ever felt insecure? Have you ever felt like, man, I wish there were some walls around me. I wish there was a little bit more protection around me as I'm on my way to the celestial city. I don't know about you, but I find myself, and I might say this more than once, I find myself saying stuff like this. I don't know how much more of this I can take. Y'all ever say that? <laughs> how much more of this can we take? Here's Abraham. Abraham, God comes to Abraham and gives him a promise. I'm going to give you a son and gives him all these promises. And then he makes him roam and roam and roam. And then he goes out and he goes, you know, Lord, is he ever going to get around to keeping this promise? I think I'll go have a son on my own. 
And then at the end, he comes to him and he says, Lord, Lord comes to him and says, I'm going to give you your son. It's going to happen next year. And he says, Lord, may Ishmael stand before you. I want, there's so many others, but I want to think about David. David's my friend. David's my hero. I love David. Uh, wow, I love David. So God anoints David through the prophet Samuel, about 17 years old. Does he go straight to a palace? No, he doesn't go to a palace. He starts running from a crazy man. Saul's a crazy man. He's a green-eyed monster full of envy and jealousy. And he has to run for his life. And he's praying in caves. He's leading these, all these men. These, these guys, they become great men. But he's running. He has no city. He's just out there wandering around in wastelands, just like this passage says. Can you hear David saying, I just don't know how much more of this I could take. Between me and death, he says, just one step. And Jesus also, he's out there wondering. You remember what Jesus said? No sin in his life. And he says, you know, the foxes have their holes and the birds have their nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my own head. Are you there? What are you up to, Lord? I don't know how much more of this I can take. Are you there? Aimlessness? What, what are you doing with me? What are you doing with me? The Lord exposes us to aimlessness. The Lord exposes us to confinement. Why are we confined? Well, we'll answer that in a second. But look at verse 10. There are those who have dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. Some of us are in misery and chains because of our what? First, verse 11. Because we have rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Some of us are in misery and chains because we're in sin. And some of us know what that means. I, 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 I can tell you I know what that means. When Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent, they were tempted to spurn the Word of God. They were tempted to say, you know, he came to them and he says, look, if you will just break this one prohibition, you'll be free, you'll have it all, it'll be great, you'll be reborn. You ever heard that? People who start going a certain sinful direction, they say, I'm free. And then what happens to them? Now they're in bondage. Now, now, you see, now, I don't know if y'all know, maybe y'all don't know this, this uh, uh, cartoon, but I am reminded of the Flintstones. There's Fred, and I can't remember. And then there's Barney, and I can't remember his wife. But I remember Bam Bam. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. I'm just for, for my own personal experience, I understand what it means for sin to for me to go out and sin and think I'm going to be free and turn right around for Bam Bam to take me and just bam me back and forth, just like in the cartoon. And I think I'm free, but I'm being beaten to pieces by sin because it's got me. Sin, does, it, sin promises a lot of stuff, but it doesn't do anything but put us in bondage. Now, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes this book, Mere Christianity, and he gives these three forms of pride. That's probably worth a sermon by itself. But pride, he says there's a good pride. And good pride means I want to please you. Okay? And vain pride means I'm pleasing to myself. That's sinful pride. And then he talks about diabolical pride. And he said diabolical pride is the pride we talked about in the Garden of Eden. Diabolical pride says... I will spurn God's word and I will refuse to obey God's word and I will do what I want and only define myself 
in bondage. I think it's fascinating to look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, Therefore he humbled their hearts with labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. You're in bondage to sin, and there's no human help. Who can help you? (laughs) Only God. Is the Holy Spirit opening my eyes to see that there's only one helper? There's only one person that can set me free from my confinement in sin. The next thing we are uh, exposed to, we're told by the psalmist, is foolishness. Look at verse 17. The trouble of foolishness. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Now this is fools who've gone out in sin and now they're experiencing affliction. Now not everybody who goes out in sin experiences affliction. We're going to see that in the afternoon sermon. There's plenty of people who are going out and living in sin and having a great and prosperous time. But some fools have gone out and sinned and they are afflicted. And so one of, the, one of the commentators says this, The foolish people are sick people. The fools are sick because they say there is no God. They live as if there is no God and they suffer physically because of their spiritual choices. That's some fools suffer because of their spiritual choices physically. They go out and they sin with a high hand and they suffer physically and emotionally. You can go read what it's like in Psalm 32 when David says, I didn't confess my sins for 10 months. What was he like? He says, I was dry to bone. He says, I'm suffering. I'm in anguish when we don't confess our sins. My, my grandfather was for 50 years. I remember. I'll tell you all how old I am. 1987. This is 1987. And... Um, my granddad loved fishing with Catawba worms across the lake. And uh, all these years, he smoked five packs a day, drank alcohol way too much. And he told me that he was going to go to Cross Lake when he retired. 1987 came along. He retired. He went to the hospital. He never got back out of the chair until he died. Foolish living. He chose not to walk with God. He chose to sin. And his soul, the text says, abhorred all kinds of food. And he drew near to the gates of death. His power had ended. The Lord exposes us to foolishness. We can be fools, but we can also be saved out of that. Next thing, the final thing, the trouble of daily life. Look at verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters. This picture is a picture of you and me going out and doing our business every single day. It's seafaring. It's a portrait of daily life. You and I, we get up and some of us are retired and do, we fix things. And some of us are doctors and we go to school and some of us are getting residencies. And some of us are electricians and some of us work on ice rinks. And some of us are going to get up in the morning and work on a sermon. And some of us are regional home missionaries and some of us are students. And on and on, right? Administrators at schools. We're all out there, and we're all doing our daily business, and then we're on our way from port, port A to port B, and then something happens. And everything that we've been planning, all our calculations and all our agendas are changed. Our retirement plans are changed. Certain comforts are gone forever. And here's the point. Not one of these storms is a chance happening. Not one of these storms is a satanic ploy. The storm that you and I presently go through at this very moment is God's storm. Look at verse 25 and 26. 
For he spoke, and he raised up a stormy wind. He lifted up the seas, the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Here we are face to face with the sovereignty of God. As with Job, maybe you didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) But the Lord was going to allow Satan, permit Satan to put him through the ringer. And God sovereignly permitted Satan to sift Peter. And God sovereignly permitted Satan to sift Jesus Christ. And every temptation, and every trial, and everything we go through, it's not apart from God. Jesus sends His own disciples out on the sea twice. He's the one who sent them. And every time He sent them out, it was calm, and then it went crazy out there. There was a sea quake. There was an earthquake on the ocean, on the water, if you will, on the sea. Jesus himself, he comes into this life of ours, and while he's doing business as he moves from point port A to port B, he goes through all sorts of unbelievably high seas. Family rejected him. Townspeople rejected him. Religious leaders rejected him. He's hated by the Romans, betrayed by one of his own disciples, and we can go on and on, arrested, put to death. And he didn't do anything wrong. Using the words of Psalm 27, or, or one, one, verse 27, let's just read that. They reeled. Jesus reeled. Jesus staggered like a drunken man. I'm not saying he was. <laughs> he was at his wit's end. That's what we feel like, isn't it? We, we think about these senseless murders. We think about sin running rampant. We... Sorrow over health issues, some seen, some not seen. You know, my wife was saying sometimes we need to think about people who have migraines. You need to think about them having a gash on their side of their head. It might help us to understand that they really are hurting. We sorrow over the death of a little one. Disabilities, and we feel like we're beaten, we're reeling. Who in these four scenarios hasn't been described The psalmist describes every one of us. Every single family is going through some of this that we've just looked at. We're not shielded and we're not exempted from these trials and troubles. But here's the second point. The Lord calls you to give thanks. Verse 1 is an invitation to give thanks. It's like the summary statement. I'm fixing to tell you this is what you're supposed to do. I'm going to tell you all the troubles and you're going to tell us in a minute how to do it. There is, we are being exposed to all these things, aimlessness and confinement and foolishness and being battered by daily life. In verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31 says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Bad things happen. What are we to do when bad things happen? Well, I just said it, but let me tell you what some people do. We have a lot of people telling us what to do when bad things happen, and they make a lot of money telling us to do what they tell us. Uh, Many people tell us many uh, wrong things to do when bad things happen. Let me give you a few illustrations, just some that came to my mind. King Ahab, he's on the, out there doing business with Naboth, and he says, Naboth, I will, I will pay you for this vineyard of yours, or I'll give you another vineyard in its place. And Naboth, for biblical reasons, said, no. You know what Ahab did? 
when he didn't get his way. When he didn't get to do the business that he wanted to do, he goes back to his palace. He turns his face to the wall, and he sulked and refused to eat. Is that what you do when you, don't, when you go through trials and troubles? King Saul's in his sin. He doesn't go to God. He goes to a medium. Do I go and consult a medium? Do I complain and argue? Am I filled with anger? Do I harden my heart? Do I try to make others feel sorry for me? These are just some things people do. But the psalmist, I'm going to tell you again, the psalmist, verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. He says in verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31, Let them give thanks to the Lord, for His loving kindness is good. Why does he say it so many times? Is he not trying to make a point? Well, you say, Pastor, how am I going to do this? Can I just give you one word? P-R-A-Y-E-R. And he doesn't say it once. He says it four times. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, verse 28, and He delivered them out of their distresses. He delivered them out of their aimlessness. He delivered them out of their confinement in sin. He delivered them from their foolishness. He delivered them in their battered daily lives. He delivered them, but they prayed. He cried to the Lord and He delivered them. That's the remedy. When you have no power, when you have no one to help you, you turn to God and He comes and He's the one who helps us. He gives us His ear. He tells us to cry out to Him and He will listen. He knows exactly what we need before we ask, but He wants us to pray. He doesn't say, Daddy's busy now, but He's going to answer. And I love this because it says in the same verse, it puts cry, it puts pray and deliverance in the same verse. God is going to answer us when we pray. He just may not answer us the way we think we ought to be answered. The Lord delivers the aimless. We deal with aimlessness. I just don't know if I can take this tent life anymore. I just don't know if I can take this anymore. And then the Lord begins to show us we're going through this winding path, and I want it to be straight. And I want it to be straight, but it's going up a steep path. And I want it to be straight. But have you ever been on these mountains? Um, see, there's this picture of me. I don't ever do this, but that's, that's Lake Tahoe. I'm at the top of this mountain. And you know how you get to the top? Switchbacks. All the way up, switchbacks. Why don't we just go straight, Lord? <laughs> and here's the thing. Because he knows the straight path for you is the switchback path. He knows the straight path for you is the steep path. That's his way of answering. He's saying, hey, the hard trail is the straight path for you all the way to glory. All the way to the safety place. You and I, we might pray that God delivers us from all our circumstances. I want out and he leaves you in it. You pray, Lord, this is what I want, and He gives you what you ought to have prayed for. <laughs> hey, listen, listen, Lord, I've got this thorn in my flesh, and I want you to get rid of it, remove it from me. And the Lord says, no, I'm going to leave it. You should have prayed for me to leave it and give you the grace. And this is the answer that you should have prayed for and the answer you got. You get the thorn, and you get the grace to go through it with it in your side. You see, in the life of Corey Ten Boom, she talks about the fact she's 47 years old and she's a watchmaker living in the Netherlands with her family. And then the Nazis come on the scene, they invade the area, and they begin to take care of the Jews who are, who are being exterminated. You know the story. 
Well, she and her family are discovered for taking care of Jews and hiding them, and they're placed into a concentration camp. And so she's there, and she's suffering, and she's being assaulted by male and female guards. And she talks about how she hated them. She talks about how she hated the fleas. And then she began to see that God was answering her prayers in strange ways. Those guards wouldn't get close to them in the barracks because of the fleas. She began to thank God for the fleas because that's when she was able to, I think she had a Bible in her clothing. She could pull the Bible out and she could read the Bible to the women. And the women, she be, they began to talk about how they could forgive the guards. And they began to talk about the, how they could pray and minister to each other. And they began to thank God even for the fleas. The Lord also delivers those who are confined and foolish. You know, it's interesting. We go out and we say, okay, I'm going to spurn the Lord's word and I'm going to have this freedom. And then we find ourselves in bondage. We find ourselves going through these terrible consequences because of our sin. And yet the very thing that we just spurned, if we grab hold of it by faith, it's the thing that sets us free. (laughs) If we say no to Jesus Christ and we turn right around and say, listen, I'm so in bondage to my sin and I, I find there's only one way to salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now I can be saved. Now I can be healed. When Jesus was present on this earth, he healed many people of their diseases, but it was always secondary. Jesus comes to a man in John chapter 5. 38 years, he's laying there at the pool of Bethesda. And later, after he healed him, you know what he said? He says, stop sinning. In John chapter 8, the same thing. Woman caught in the the act of adultery. He goes to her at the very end of the passage and says, go and sin no more. The very truth of God grabbed hold of it, holding fast to it. You become true disciples in the The truth will make us free from our confinement and from our foolishness. Well, finally, before we come to the Lord's Supper, the Lord delivers the battered ones. Isn't this the way of life? In God's amazing grace, He brings us out of sin and death. He places us in righteousness and life. He takes us out of the the darkness and He puts us in His marvelous kingdom of light. And then, after we are no longer under the judgment of God and part of the family of God, He wants to conform us to Christ. And so this father of mine, this father of mine, he exposes me to storms, exposes me to trials. What does James say? James 1, 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We have to learn to submit to him that he can do with us as he pleases. And in these dark places on the sea, when we're at the top of the peak or at the trough, reeling like a drunken man, it's all about one thing. It's all about looking to Him and being totally, listen, totally dependent on Him. I talked to somebody this week, and I told this gal, I told her, I said, go to work. Do your work. And pray all day, Lord, help me. That's it. That's it. It's all about that. It's all about holding fast to Jesus Christ till the day you die. And that is the deliverance. Totally surrendered. He may bring the storm and He may instill it. It says He can stop it. 
He may steal your heart so that you can go through what's all around you. But he's always guiding us to the desired haven, even when there's fleas. Each and every deliverance provokes us to give thanks to the Lord. He's good. His loving kindness endures forever. He gives us aim to glorify God. He sets us free from our sin and our confinement to sin. He gives us truth in the place of our foolishness, and He walks out to us in the midst of the storms that He sends. And right now, He walks out to us in the Lord's Supper. He comes, he comes to us. This is my body. It's been broken for you. This is my blood. It's been shed for you. He gives us the bread and the wine and says, this is true food and this is true drink. He walks out to us to give us spiritually grace. Eat this today with faith in your heart. Drink this cup today with faith in your heart and be nourished and strengthened. Jesus invites his disciples to the table, and we have to always at least ask ourselves, who are the disciples? Disciples are those who have confessed their faith in Jesus Christ in front of this congregation or another one. Disciples have been baptized in water. Disciples are those who seek to live a holy and a godly life. And disciples are those who are accountable to a session of elders who seek to take care of the souls um, that they place themselves under. Are you a disciple? Then the table's for you. If you're not a disciple this morning, I'm just going to ask that you allow the trays to pass in front of you. And here's how I would like for you to participate, because I don't want you to just to turn off. <laughs> but here's what you do. Think about what we just heard. Cry to the Lord in your sinfulness. Cry to the Lord for salvation. He says He saves us. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins. And He will save you, as the song says. He will save you now. But for all of you who are ready to eat and drink, let's pray and let's, let's eat together. Our Father, we thank You for this opportunity to not only hear the Word preached, but also to see the Word visibly preached in our sight as we touch and we see and handle and taste. Father, we praise you for this bread and this wine. We pray that you'll set them apart from their common and sacred use. And we pray, Father, that with faith in our hearts, you would feed us, strengthen us for the days ahead. We'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name.